Y'all will give me just a moment here to get set up. We will get started in the word of the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Sister Boone reminded me about Brother Few. He is in the hospital. Brother Josh and myself went and believe there may have been others went to pray for him at CHI. He does have a blockage. Um, he was scheduled today, I believe, to have a heart cath done. I don't know the results of that as of yet. Somebody may know at this point. If they, Sister Boone says they're trying to decide what, what they're going to do for Brother Few. Why don't we just bow our heads together? Oh, just a second. My goodness, Brother Few, four major blockages, and they're talking about a bypass. Is that right? Why don't we all lift our hand? Why don't we stand all together as a congregation? and Let's intercede on Brother Few's behalf right now. Would you just let it come from the depths of your heart right now? God, we believe that you're able to do exceeding and abundant above all we could ask or even think. You see, Brother Few, God, even where he is right now, we know you have touched his body before, and we know that you can touch his body again. Lord, we call on you tonight in this situation, God. We know you're able to remove those blockages, Lord. We know you're able to heal. Lord, we call on you right now, oh God. We pray you would be with him, Lord. We pray you'd bolster his faith, God. And we pray you'd touch Sister Few, oh God, and bolster her faith at this time of their lives, Lord. Oh God, would you do the work, Lord, we pray. Lord, would you let your glory be revealed in this situation, God. Would you let your name be glorified, oh God, in this situation. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. I'm not sure if we've taken up offering tonight, but if we have ushers, if they'd like to pass through the congregation tonight, that would be appropriate. I see Brother Franken's coming at this time. If you wouldn't mind just passing through the congregation, praise the Lord. You've got offering tonight. You can give that. The Lord will bless you. Praise God. Well, we are in the middle of the beginning of our Bible study. We've launched our momentum class. You can be seated tonight. We've launched our momentum class, which is a class designed to target those of us that are what we'd call new believers or new converts those that are new to the faith, new to church, maybe you've just received the baptism of the Holy Ghost or you don't know much about church, this would be a class designed for you. And uh, Brother Boone has us here in the sanctuary doing this class and starting our Bible study. And uh, it's from, from all I can tell, it has been great to be in the Word of God. This is very foundational material. Sometimes you just need to go back to the very basics and start from scratch, amen? Amen. You, you, sometimes when you go back to the very, very foundation, the very beginning of a thing, you realize there's so much, so many things that you forgot or you missed or you've been living without, amen, and that you can have for your life according to the Word of God. I always like to start this out with a little overview of this Bible study my father's house, of all the lessons that we're teaching. We started with your new life in Christ, and then we talked about God's grace. Tonight, we're going to talk about hiding the word of God in our hearts. Somebody said, praise God. And then we'll go on to how to pray, and then spiritual warfare, and then knowing God's will for your life, and then Christian character, and then the Christian family, and then your pastor and you and then the gifts of the Spirit. All this is in the, the start of this Bible study. This is lesson number one. There are four lessons in this Bible study. And again, the reason I like it so much is this is one of the only Bible studies that I know of that takes you 
from the very beginning as a new believer, as a babe in Christ, and it, it shows you that progression or that development from just being born into the kingdom and you don't know nothing about nothing into what it looks like to be a fully grown, mature, overcoming, apostolic, tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled believer who's got victory in their life, who prays prayers that really get answered from the throne of heaven. That's what this Bible study is designed to do is to take you on that journey from the very foundation all the way into what we would say is full adulthood in the Lord. Praise God. So tonight we're talking about hiding the word of God in our hearts. And I just want to start with a little plug for Brother Danny's class because Monday nights here at Cornerstone, we've been doing Bible study. We've been offering three different Bible studies, and Brother Danny is talking about the Word of God. And um, the Lord is moving in that class. Every time we get into the Word of God on Monday nights, Brother Danny's bringing something out of the Word of God. Right now we're talking about how the children of Israel were delivered out of slavery in Egypt. And every time he gets into the Word, it just seems like something jumps out at me just speaks into my heart or into a situation in my life. Has anybody in here tonight ever had that happen to you where you've just been in the Word, you're reading the Word, something just jumps out and slaps you in the face? Amen. That's, that's because the Word of God is alive. It is living and it is active. And so when you read the Word of God, the Word of God reads you. The Word of God is real and alive. It's a breathing Word. In fact, when you read the Word of God, you're reading God Himself. The Bible says He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when you read the Word, you read His Word, you are reading God. And His Word is alive because He is alive. Somebody just clap your hands into the Lord. That... Praise God for his word tonight. Amen. His word is real and alive. And when you apply it to your life, it'll do amazing things. Now, this may or may not be a humble brag. I don't know. I'll let the Lord judge. But I want to talk about how this word actually saved a life, really saved a life. My wife tells me a lot of times I tell the same stories over and over and don't do that but I'm going to break that rule tonight and do it. When I was a young man, new in church, about 16 years old, I had a hunger for the Word of God, a, a, tr a hunger for truth. Like all I wanted to know as a young man coming into church was what was truth? Uh, my life was all messed up and dysfunctional and, and chaotic when I came to the Lord. A lot of darkness and despair in my world at the time. And I saw in church people and in the word of God a promise of truth. What, what is real and what is true? And I yearned for that. I hungered very deeply in my soul for, for knowing what is true. Now, I didn't hunger to be, become a preacher. I didn't ever really want to have a microphone in my hand. That wasn't what my hunger was about. I wanted truth because I had seen so many lies in my young life. And as, as the Lord would have it, I was scheduled to go teach a class about the Word of God one night for um, our youth group. And I had been studying the Word of God, trying to get some, some thoughts together. And I had been fasting that day. Fasting is purposefully denying yourself food pushing the plate away, not eating, not taking in some form of pleasure, usually through food, so that you can become more in tune with God. And I was doing that that day, and I was reading the Word that day. And because I was doing that and I was in the Bible, it caused my, my schedule to mess up, and I left a little bit late to go to church. And as I was driving to church, there was a woman whose car had broken down and caught on fire, and she ended up pulling right into my best friend's house, uh, into his, his driveway where his parents live. 
and her car was in flames in his driveway. Now, I had just been witnessing to this guy. It's a good Catholic friend of mine, one of my best friends growing up. Been witnessing to him about the word of God, what I was learning in the church world. And now this woman is broke down in his parents' driveway with her car on fire. And I'm on my way to go teach the Bible, and I'd just been in the Bible. And I, I busted the window of her car out, and I got in there. I pulled her out of the fire, ended up saving her life. She gave me this Bible, well used and worn out now, but she gave me this Bible afterward, and, and she wrote in the margin that she had been a witch, a, a practicing witch, for more than 17 years. And she said, as I was in that car with flames all around me, I told, I told God, I said, God, Jesus, if you're real, if you'll send somebody to save my life right now, I'll give up witchcraft. And I'll turn my life to you. She said, at that time, you came and busted my window and came dragging me out of the car. She said, I know it was nothing but the Lord that changed me that day and did that work. I'm telling you, if you'll get into the word of God, I don't know how it all works. I don't claim to have the equation or the formula. But if you'll get into the word of God, it's real and alive and powerful. And it can change your life. It can direct your life. Amen. Because the word is God. And you read his word, he gets inside of you. Amen. Amen. Let's start in 1 John 2, 3 through 5. The Bible says, And hereby we do know that we know him. This is how we know him. If we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him, and keeps not his commandments is a liar. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, you're a liar. You're a liar, and the truth is not in you. Tell him the truth's not in you. He said, he said that this is how we know God, if we keep his commandments. If we don't keep his commandments, the Bible says we're liars, and the truth isn't even in us. Keepeth his word, and him verily is the love of God perfective. Hereby know we that we are in him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my word. If you don't obey God's word, you cannot profess to love God. Your love for God is shown through your obedience to God's word. Somebody said amen. amen. If you don't follow the word, the Bible says you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. My wife tells me sometimes, you're not a very good liar. I can read you like a book. Now, I don't know if that's good or not. <laughs> Let you think about that for a second. But if we love God, we will have a hunger to be obedient to his word. The Bible is the greatest book in the world. It's a book from God about God. It was written by God's men teaching us how to be God's men and women. It has the most dramatic and scholarly literature. Say that word, scholarly. Scholarly. It has the most dramatic and scholarly literature that has ever been written. In the pages of the Bible, you'll find classical stories about love and adventure and war and mystery. The Bible has poetry and true history and it talks about human relationships and philosophy. But above all, the Word of God gives us His plan for the salvation of mankind. And we as Christians are to be people of His book. To really know and love the Lord, we've got to know and love the book that reveals Him. We do not really love God more than we obey Him. And we do not really obey him more than we obey his word. Let me say that again. We don't really love God more than we're willing to obey him. And we don't really obey him more than we're willing to obey his word. See, there's something about obedience that breaks the human will, the self-will. Obedience makes you mindful. Obedience makes you considerate. Obedience makes you mature. My youngest child, Bethel, 
not even two years old yet. She's still one. She's got to be the most stubborn child that I've ever met. I've met a lot of children. She's got a will of iron, a will that will not be told no and will not be broken. Lately, Bethel's been running to the front door of the house, and she'll, she'll pull on the, the front door inside of our house until she can get the handle to open. And then there's a glass storm door behind that, and she'll jiggle on the handle until she can get that open and push that storm door open through two doors, and then she'll run out barefooted, naked, doesn't matter. She'll just run right out of the house. And she's doing it all the time. So the first time she was doing this, we called her. Bethel, don't do that. Can't do that, Bethel. Stop. Stubborn little kid. Of course she's not going to stop. The next time she did it, Bethel, quit it. You're going to get hurt. You've got to stop that. You're going to get out there in the street and you're going to hurt yourself. Fuss at her. Not strong enough to break her will. The third time she did it, she really got outside and was running down our driveway. And we, we got her, we scolded her, swatted her. Still not enough to break her will. Fourth time, fifth time, how many times has she done it now? hundred times probably. The kid got through both doors into the middle of the street. We bring her inside, spank her. She wouldn't have it. She did it again. Got all the way out in a diaper and nothing else into the middle of the street where there's cars flying by all the time down that road. They come down really fast to turn around. I don't know why you need to go down the road that fast, but they do in our, in our, in our driveway. Come down to turn around. That last time I got her, I drug her back into the house. I sat her down. I sat her down on my lap. And I said, you cannot do this, Bethel. You've got to learn how to be obedient. I flipped that one-year-old over, and I, I got a wooden spoon out of the drawer, and I wore that behind out. I mean, I was going to town. Like, you probably call Child Protective Services and get her taken away right now. I wore that baby out. And my wife said, you can't do that to that baby. You can't beat her like that. You're going to hurt her. I said, this beating is going to hurt a lot less than if she gets out there in that street and gets run over by a car. Amen. And that's what obedience to the word of God is designed to do. Obedience to the word of God is not weak. It does not show that you have a weak will. It shows that God loves you so much, he wants to save you from destruction. Somebody give God praise tonight. If we're obedient to his word, we are strong. We are strong as individuals. The word of God's designed for our protection. It's designed to guide us in life. It's designed to show us how to really, truly love without strings attached. The word of God is designed to give us wisdom. It's not about being weak, as some in the world would say, that, that religion just weakness. You're weak and you need religion to, to build you up. That's not what it's about. It's about finding truth and wisdom for your life. The Bible is, as we know, infallible. That means there's nothing wrong in it. The Bible cannot and does not lie ever. It's infallible. The Bible is unique in what we would call its continuity. This is what that means. The Bible's not some paperback book that was written to get on the bestseller list and sell a million copies and somebody that wrote it got rich off of it. That's not what the Bible was about. The Bible was written over 1,600 years of time. The Bible was written by 40 different, more than 40 different authors or writers. The Bible was written over 60 different generations of people. More than 40 writers, there were kings and peasants and herdsmen and soldiers and fishermen and poets and statesmen and scholars. There were professional men and priests and prophets and so many others that wrote the Bible. The Bible was written on three different continents. It was written in Asia and Africa and in Europe. The Bible was written in three languages. It was written in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. 
and the 66 books that are in the Bible tell the same story. It tells about the unfolding story of the drama of human redemption. The Bible maintains its continuity in that it never one time contradicts itself in its completeness. More than 40 writers from all different walks of life, never one time did they ever disagree. Now this is just to be silly, but you know we couldn't even have a board meeting without a disagreement. Because we're flesh, right? We, we couldn't have a marriage without a single disagreement happening. Because we're flesh. Somebody said amen. amen. We're humans and we're prone to failure because we're carnal. Now, a lot of that is designed by God to make us stronger, to help us to grow and mature. Somebody said amen. amen. But the Bible itself is infallible. Forty different writers over 1,600 years of time never one time contradict, but they all play into the same narrative of human redemption. 2 Peter 1, 20-21, the Bible says, Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says it wasn't men that really wrote this book, but it was God who breathed this book out. The Bible is unique in its survival. Voltaire predicted that the Bible would be extinct by the year 1850, but we know that the Bible is now the best-selling book in human history. As of 2007, there were more than 7.5 billion Bibles in the world, and that's data from 13 years ago. The Bible was not written by men, but it was breathed by God. Matthew 24, 35 says about the word, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Matthew 5, 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or tittle will in no wise pass from the law, from the law till all be fulfilled. God's word is not going anywhere anytime soon. Somebody said amen. The Bible is unique in its reliability. There were over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. Some of those prophecies started almost 2,000 years before Jesus came on the scene, up to about 400 years before Jesus ever showed up. And of those 300 or so prophecies, every single one of them came to pass. Not a single one of them was ever missed. Imagine if I could give you the winning lottery numbers before they were ever drawn. It'd be pretty amazing, right? Imagine if I could do that for you 300 times. You'd say, that's impossible. There's no way you could know that or do that. But the prophecies about Jesus Christ, where he would be, be born, who he would become, the lineage he would come from, the city he would be in, the family tree he would come from. Every single one of them are better than winning the lottery because Jesus Christ and his coming to this earth are what give us the promise of everlasting life and the promise of salvation. Somebody give God praise tonight. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Mighty is your name. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember not the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Somebody said end from the beginning. And from ancient times. Say ancient times. And the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Here's the point for us as believers tonight. When your life is shaking, and it will shake at some point, when your world is spinning all around you, and it will at some point in your life, when you're uncertain about tomorrow, and we're all going to experience that at some point in our life, we can stand assured knowing that His Word and His counsel will never 
pass away. His word and his counsel will stand the test of time no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's happening in your world, no matter the chaos that might be around you or going on inside of you. His word will last forever. Somebody said amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. We've got to learn how to hide his word in our heart. A lot of people are interested in how to hide the word in their hearts, but how to hide the word in your heart isn't nearly as important as why. Why you should hide the word in your heart. Now, we're going to be wrapped up not too long from now, and we'll talk about how to hide the word in your heart. But let's talk about why you should hide the word in your heart. The Bible tells us one of the main reasons you should hide the word of God in your heart is so that you can control your thoughts. Anybody tonight just willing to be honest and say, I've had trouble at some point controlling my thoughts? Anybody tonight? I'm not the only one. Proverbs 23 and 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The greatest truth about life that applies to every single one of us is that you become what you think about. It's what you become. Earl Nightingale said in The Strangest Secret that a man's thoughts become his reality. Whatever you think about, whatever you dwell on, is what you will end up being. Philippians 4 and 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, pure, lovely, of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Everybody say think. Because whatever your, whatever's in your mind is what you will become. Psalms 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate. Everybody said meditate. Day and night. Matthew 12, 34. O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak of good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I used to talk about this a lot with our youth group when I was a youth pastor, especially our young ladies. I'd get our young ladies together sometimes, did it pretty often, and I would say, listen, young ladies, I've got to talk to you all, okay? Tell you the truth about young men. You're running around with some of these young guys. They don't, they don't even know who they are yet, what they want yet in life, okay? But I can give you a little picture I can give you a little window into that young man's heart without having to do a, a, a cath or anything like that. We can see right into his heart. If that young man is talking to you about perversion and lust and saying you're so fine, I'll make you mine and all that stuff, <laughs> he's saying all those things because that's what's inside of him. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's down inside of you has to come out. And it reveals something about you. You keep talking about something. It's because it's inside of you. It's in your spirit, and it's just got to make its way to the surface. That's what Jesus was saying. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth Speak. So whatever you talk about, whatever you dwell on, whatever consumes your thought life, that's what you are. How important is it to put the word of God into our hearts? If God is his word, if the word is God and was God, then we ought to put God inside of us by taking in his word. That's how we'll become more like him. Amen. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord tonight? Give him praise. Romans 12 and 2, I don't even know if I gave this to, to Brother Philip, but it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's one of the things that fascinated me so much when I was getting in church as a young man, that, that I could somehow be different. I could become a different person than I was. 
that fascinated me, that idea. That the old Kais didn't have to be who I was for the rest of my life. That I could somehow be new, a new me. I could somehow be better. I could be transformed from who I knew or, or used to be and become something brand new. It says, don't be conformed to this world. That's what everybody's doing. But you can be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind, your thoughts. Your thought life is what you will become. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's a lot to unpack there, but we'll just focus on this right now. That Word translated, you can look it up in your concordance, that word translated is logos, L-O-G-O-S. Logos translated means a thought. Look it up in that concordance. You'll see logos is a thought or a concept. God is his word. Isaiah 55, 7 and 9, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, he says in verse 8. My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than yours. It's hard to swallow sometimes, but the Bible really does teach that we've got damaged thinking. Our human carnal nature, our thoughts, they're not always good, are they? Bible says our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's what you in this church tonight sitting on this pew have working inside of you and me standing here with this microphone in my hand. We've got desperately wicked thoughts inside of us. And every now and then they bubble up to the surface, don't they? That's why we've got to take the Word of God and hide it in our hearts. That's why we've got to meditate on the Word of God. That's why we've got to let it consume us until it's not us anymore, but it's Jesus Christ revealing Himself through us to the world all around us. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise tonight. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. If we could learn and retain God's thoughts in our minds, it would change us. It would change us completely. To take our hearts and align them with God's word, we can then fellowship with God and then conviction governs our behavior. You know what our behavior is like when we're not walking in conviction? Our behavior is carnal. Our behavior is sinful. Our behavior is selfish. Somebody said amen if it's the truth. So if we hide the word of God in our hearts, it will help us to overcome sin. Psalm 119, 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Sin begins in the thought world. Internal thoughts become external actions. The Bible said in one place, I'll put no unclean thing before me because it will affect me. If I put it in front of me, it's going to influence me, and then I'm going to turn in to that thing I have in front of me. That's what we call an idol. It's in front of me. An idol doesn't just have to be a little statue that you bow down and pray to, that you burn incense on. The Lord spoke to my heart just the other night. I walked into my kitchen. It hit me like a ton of bricks. The Lord said to me, Kais, I'm perfect, right? No, not so perfect. The Lord said to me, you've got idols in your heart. What, Lord? I've got idols in my heart? Living for you for 14 years. I don't smoke anymore. I don't drink anymore. don't get high anymore. I'm trying to live a good life. I know raise my kids in church. I thought I was doing pretty good, God. He said, no, you've got idols in your heart. Because every time lately you come into my presence... You've got other things on your mind. What are you talking about, God? For two years now or so, I started a business not long ago. It's been consuming my time and my attention. Stress, worry, problems, things to, to solve. 
never goes away. Every day I wake up, it's something new. The Lord said, every time you come to prayer, you bring that junk with you. Every time you come to worship, you're, you're letting it be the foremost thought in your mind. You used to be free in worship. You, you used to have me as first, number one, but now you've got idols in your heart that look like stress. You're making those things bigger than me. And don't we all do that from time to time? An idol isn't just a statue. Whatever you think about the most, whether it's a thing, whether it's your work, whether it's a person, it doesn't matter. Whatever is consuming you is an idol. And God will not stand for idols. The first commandment. Anybody know the first commandment? Have no other gods before me. The Bible says God is a jealous God. God doesn't play second fiddle to anything or anybody else. He wants all of you like we sung about tonight or he wants nothing. The, the definition of jealousy is that he is intolerant of rivalry. He will not be in competition. He's intolerant of rivalry in your heart or mind. Somebody lift your hands to the Lord tonight and just give him praise. Lord, we, we want to be wholly devoted to you, God. Search us tonight, God, if there be any idols in us, if there be anything that preoccupies us more than you and loving you and loving your word. Forgive us tonight, God. Cleanse our hearts tonight, God. Give us a new purity, O oh God, about us and our love for you and our love for your word. Would you just clap your hands to God and give him praise for a moment tonight? Thank you, Lord. Hurrying along here. Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. My son, if you'll receive my words and hide my commandments with you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yea, if you cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. There are methods by which we can get the word of God into our hearts. The first is that we hear the word. The Bible says that we can hear the preaching or the teaching of pastors and evangelists and teachers. The Bible says if the, the word of God is mixed with the unction of the spirit in our lives, if it's mixed with faith, that's when the word truly helps us. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I said it last week, but if you're ever low on your faith, if you're ever down in life, if circumstances and things are happening around you and you feel like you're being reactive to everything and not proactive about things in life, if your faith is getting so depleted that it feels like you don't know if God's even there, the truth of the matter is probably that you don't have the word of God in your heart and life. You're not taking in enough of his word for it to build and bolster your faith. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you'll get into the word of God, if you'll let your heart search out the scriptures and get into the word, it will build your faith, it will build you up until you can overcome whatever's happening in your world. Somebody said amen. It's true. Second, we can read the word. Revelation 1 and 3 says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Again, when you read the word of God, you are reading God, and his word is alive. That word gets down inside of you, then you come alive. As well. Third is we can study the Word of God. You can study with a concordance. You can study with a dictionary. Um, if you have a concordance, you'll know that there are um, Greek and Hebrew manuscripts in the Bible. And if you dig into a, a concordance like this Strong's Concordance, you can get the deeper meaning of a word, a, a more clear explanation of a word in Scripture. 
My favorite example of this came from a message I heard Jeff Arnold preach, um, and he talked about the word epipipto in the New Testament. And that epipipto is the Greek word for falling. Like if I fall down right here and can't get up, it, that's what it means to fall. And it's only found two times in Scripture, and you'll see that if you use a concordance. It's found two times. The first one is where the prodigal son's coming home from messing his life up and wasting all his money. He's coming home, and the father sees him a long way off, and it, the Bible says the father ran and fell on his neck and had compassion on him and kissed him. That's a picture of the Lord loving us and running to us and forgiving us of our sins, right? That's what that word fell represents, is how much that father loved that son. It wasn't just a falling, but it was a falling on him with compassion and love and redemption. And the only other place in Scripture you see that word epipipto is on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell in Acts 2.38. And it's that same picture of the father loving his prodigal son. And falling on him with compassion. And though you messed up and though you were far from me for generations and generations of time, I've come to redeem you and I love you and I won't hold it against you and I want you to be better and I want you to be filled with my spirit. That's the kind of love that God has for his church. Amen. Praise God. You'll study the word of God. You'll get those nuggets of truth. The Bible says in Acts 17 and 11, and I'm hurrying to get to a close. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. Everybody said daily. Whether those things were so. 2 Timothy 2.15. I'm on my last page for those that are keeping track. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Here's the thing, if you don't study the Bible, if you don't study the Bible to stay obedient to the Word and the truths in the Word, then you won't rightly divide the Word. You will wrongly divide the Word. If you want to rightly divide the Word of God, you've not only got to take it in and see what it says, but you've got to have that spirit that says, I, I long for this truth. I'll, I'll meditate on it until I know what it means. I long to hide this word in my heart so I won't sin against you. Next is we can memorize the word of God. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. When I first got into church, I got into Bible quizzing. A young man, I could only quiz as a young adult for one year because then I turned 17 and would have to go with the adults and they changed all that up, but... I loved the Word of God. I, I got 400 flashcards from Pentecostal Publishing House. I wanted to be a Bible quizzer. And I'd spread them all out over my floor, and it was all Pentecostal doctrine. And I'd learn Acts 2.38, and I'd learn about the Word of God, and I'd learn about one God, and I'd learn about how to love God and how to repent. Just learning these flashcards. I'd hide that Word in my heart, and it changed me. Because I, I, I long for that truth of studying the word of God. If you'll, if you'll fall in love with his word, it will change you. Amen. Next, we can meditate on the word. Psalm 1 and 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Everybody say meditate. Well, we don't do this nearly enough. There, there's not a one of us that meditates, I don't believe, on the Word of God nearly enough. There are deeper truths about your life and your purpose in life that you will only come to discover if you meditate on the Word of God. There's the thing, you don't always see these truths the first time around just reading it in the Bible you meditate on the Word of God, it will speak to you in newer and deeper and more profound ways. This happened for me the same day I told you earlier about saving that woman's life. When I got to the Bible study that night, I, I was reading Psalm 68 and 6. Psalm 68 and 6, it says, God sets the solitary in families. He 
brings out those that are bound with chains. That day, that scripture right there jumped out to me in a way I'd never seen before. It spoke to my heart so powerfully because when I was in that Bible study with those kids, I'd read this a couple dozen times before. But I read that scripture, God said it the solitary in families, and it just leaped out at me on the page because that was me. I saw, it, I saw it about the 13th time I'd read that scripture. The only one for my family in church. My dad and his side of the family, they're all devout Muslims. Mom loved, loved God in her younger years, but she'd been hurt and grown cold toward church and toward the things of God. And I saw, I saw because I'd been meditating on the word that in a deeper and more profound way. Has anybody tonight ever had that happen to you when you've been in the word of God? Would you raise your hand and just let everybody see tonight? Something you read in scripture once or twice or a hundred times speaks to you in a more deeper way, in a deeper way. If you meditate on his word, Psalm 1 and 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law does he meditate day and night. Why don't we all stand tonight? What does God want from us concerning his word? What he's always wanted. He wants action. Action. Love is action. Looks like going to the cross and dying for us. Faith is an action word. Obedience is action. Somebody said amen. We've got to put the truths that we learn into action in our personal lives. We've got to share the word of God with our friends and our family and with others. Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 7. And these words which I command thee this day. Everybody say it's a commandment. Which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and you'll talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And this is a small example, and I am not perfect by any means. Sometimes, if I'm being transparent, I get a little insecure because I feel like my family knows I'm not as consistent as I should be all the time. But every now and then, Try to do it at least once a week. I'll gather my kids up. Let's go to the couch. Get on the couch with all the kids huddled around me, and we'll get in the Word of God. Try to have a little Bible study with them or teach them a, a Bible story. What am I doing? I'm, I'm trying to show them that this is important. Or sometimes we'll get down on the couch, and I'll just try to pray with them. It's, it's not real fancy. I fumble up. I had a bad day at work sometimes and I can't even get in the Holy Ghost, but I'm trying to show them this is important. My kids need to know that this is important to figure this out and get in the Word of God. How many know tonight there's nothing more important than passing the Word of God on to those around you and to the next generation? 2 Timothy 4:11 through 16 sums up, it says, Be an example of the believers. Give yourself wholly to them. Command and teach them. Be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and purity. The result of applying the word of God to our lives is we're enriched, we're encouraged, we become excited about the word, we become stable in our life and in our thought life, we become fruitful for the Lord, we grow, and we can't help but to prosper and be in health as our soul prospers according to the word of God. If you want to make God's word a priority in your life, would you just lift your hands right now to the Lord? Just let him know, God, I want to make your word a priority in my life. Lord, we want to seek your word as a hidden treasure. We want to know you more deeply, God. Would you just let them hear your voice tonight? Come on, we're about to be dismissed tonight, but would you let them know I'm consecrating myself to you anew and afresh tonight with a willingness to study your word, God, with a desire to get into your word, God. If your word is written to me, oh God, I want to get inside of it and learn more about you, Lord. I want to become passionate about the word of God in my life. Would you just let them hear your voice for a moment tonight.
Lord, we need you, God. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need your word in our hearts to lead us, God, to convict us, God, to guide us into all truth, oh God. Lord, I pray you'd see every heart tonight, God, every one of us, God, that has set up idols before you, Lord. Tonight we repent, oh God. Tonight we ask for that cleansing, Lord, from the blood of the Lamb, God. Let your word wash our eyes. Let your word illuminate our spirits, oh God. Let your word challenge us. Let it transform us, God. Let it change who we are fundamentally, oh God, until we're out of the picture, God, and you are revealed to, through us, God, to this world. Would you just clap your hands and give God praise tonight? Lord, we thank you for your word that's forever settled in heaven, oh God. Your word that will never pass away. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I want to get into God's word more than I ever have before. That word challenges me, convicts my heart. So when I read that word, I see myself more clearly. Better than that, I see him more clearly see his love for me and his mercy for me and what he wants for me more clearly amen would you just lift your hands to the lord one more time just love him tonight we're dismissed at this time just love him for a moment Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, oh, let's thank him for his word, what it's cost to get that word to us today. The many people that have fought to protect it and to bring it to us in the form that we have it. Thank you, Lord, uh, not only for giving it, but for those who have protected it through the years uh, with their very life. We worship you tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you again, Brother Forehead. I didn't get in for all of it, but until very good lesson if you would make sure you keep uh jessa and prayer that baby is uh they're putting her on full bed rest for the next four weeks to try to stop that baby from coming early and brother few i just left there they don't know what to do with him he has major blockage in the major in the major artery one one of the major arteries has 95 percent blockage and three other arteries close by it have have major blockage. So they, they're kind of in a quandary of what to do uh, at this point. So just pray for them to know for the Lord to put his hand on them tonight. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here on a wonderfully wet, glorious, cold night. I, walk, I drove in the parking lot and I said, these people are awesome. They're just awesome. Thank you for being here. Amen. See you soon. <laughs>